0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is episode 308. And oh, hello, I am your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show. So excited. Just uh, two more weeks of the podcast and take a little uh, break for the holiday season. Hopefully, you're going to take some time off this holiday season too, because we all man, do we ever deserve a break? This has been a year. This has been here. Um, anywho, um, <laughs> so excited, though, to end things off on, you know, just like a bang. I think I I I think kind of killed it this season. I'm, I'm really proud of all the episodes and amazing guests I've had on the season, uh, including today's guest, Parween Mander. She's someone I've been following on social media for quite a while because... Um, You know she's just been very uh, inspirational, and I think she's a she's a fan of the podcast. She was listening to the podcast, uh, you know, for a while, which is kind of cool. That I'm like, oh, I'm a fan of you. She's a fan of me. I love that. I love when that happens. (laughs) So Parween is a South Asian money expert on a mission to provide honest and relatable financial coaching for women of color from immigrant upbringings through one-on-one coaching and mentoring. And she built a net worth of one hundred thousand dollars by the age of twenty-six, and is on a mission to help other women of color overcome their financial traumas and build generational wealth. And Parween is the founder of The Wealthy Wolf, holds an accredited financial counselor Canada designation, just like yours truly. Hey. And she is also a certified trauma of money facilitator. Honestly, it's really kind of cool that she has the same designation as me because honestly, I have not met that many people that have an AFCC. So uh, that was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, She's also from Vancouver, which is my hometown, which is very cool. Um, So we really dive into so many amazing topics. In this episode, she's an amazing guest. So can't wait to share this episode with you. But before I get to that interview, just a few words I want to share about this podcast episode sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Motley Fool Canada. You know that I'm a diehard index investor, but what you may not know is I've got a little satellite portfolio on the side for some individual stock investing. Don't get me wrong, I'm still a passive investor practicing a long-term buy and hold strategy with these stocks, but this has been something I've been doing for a few years now. And one of the resources I use to help with research and stock recommendations is Motley Fool's Stock Advisor Canada Membership. Now, what drew me to Motley Fool Canada was that they share my same investment philosophy. They aren't about day trading or getting rich quick. They encourage buy and hold stock investing, making sure members are diversified, understand risk tolerance, and they even recommend investing in index funds. And most importantly, they want to educate Canadians about building wealth just like I do. So if you're interested in learning more about stock investing specifically, consider joining over 70,000 of your fellow Canadian investors today by signing up to Stock Advisor Canada. And if you visit, fool.ca slash Jessica, you can save 66% off your membership. Once again, to sign up and get 66% off visit fool.ca slash Jessica. Welcome Parveen, to the more money podcast. I'm so
1: excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Jessica for having me Being on your pod- podcast is definitely a dream of mine. So I'm so so excited to be here and chat with you
0: and you are the most gracious guest because we have tried this 3 times. Yeah. <laughs> We've tried this 3 times because of my tech issues that is the fun part of doing this podcast remotely. Um but totally. uh, here we are. We're going to make it work. So thank you, thank you and thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like such a noob. <laughs> when I'm like recording like I swear I have been doing this for 6 years, <laughs> but hey, these things happen. Welcome to uh, the digital age. So totally. uh, anyways, I I'm so happy that you're on the show because Number one, I, I think you are so inspirational for for everything that you've done at such a young age. Honestly, I don't think I I think I was just starting to learn literally just basic money management at your age and mm-hmm. you're already totally ahead of the game money coaching creating your own financial education content you're an afcc just i am which if anyone doesn't know what that is because no one does it's right. accredited <laughs> financial counselor canada you and me know everyone else who has the designation knows have you i guess not but i i have you ever gone to any of the? i don't think they have done them for you know since since the pandemic but they used to do like a conference uh for AFCCs? yeah
1: So like yeah, when I got my designation, it was like literally the pandemic the year after. So like the conference became like the virtual one. So I never had to like fly to Toronto uh, for the conference. Was there?
0: There was a virtual one.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's like it's like based. I don't know if I knew about that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh well, that's why I was wondering. I'm like, oh, I guess they're just not doing anything. Shoot, maybe I totally missed the boat on that. Did that happen like Yeah,
1: the Canadian. Did one. that happen
0: like this year? Like in 2021?
1: Uh, it happened last year like around this time and it's happening again. Like in like two weeks really? or something like that. Um
0: I did not get my email. So I'm going to have to follow up on that that. because I just uh, (laughs) spaced. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I did not get or I do have a tendency to, you know, delete emails. (laughs) You're like, you know, I'm like, oh, this isn't, you know, I just like don't look at them. like, oh, what is this spam and then delete. And so that's exactly what happened. I'm sure it's in my deletes. Um, Okay, cool. Well, good to know. I'm going to look into that later. But anyways, that's not why we're on the show. But um Like, yeah, like I mentioned, I've been following you on social media for quite a while. And I find, you know, as a young Canadian who you just have such a, a, an also a very unique perspective and mm. uh, I'm excited to kind of really dive in. But I think what's, what's really awesome, and I think, unique about you is really your your background and your story. And you're really not afraid to talk about mm. certain topics that I think, you know, most people m- might not know how to talk about it or might, you know, uh, kind of shy away from it, which is really, you know, things like financial trauma and generational wealth and being yeah. a, woman of a woman of color and also a child of immigrants. So mm-hmm. let's kind of start with the, your background and your story. Kind of how did how did you eventually come to a point where you're like, I want to not only Better myself financially and and improve my financial literacy, but also help others.
1: Yeah, for sure. So my sort of journey with money started when I was 16 years old, um, when we almost lost our childhood home, the one I'm literally Mm. sitting in right now. And at the time, being the eldest daughter of immigrant parents, uh, where you know English was a language barrier, I was responsible for translating what the bank, you know, representatives were saying to my parents. So I was very overly exposed to adult financial matters. At such a young age. And what that experience taught me was hey, if you don't have money, that means you lack safety, you know, power, control. Mm-hmm. So that must mean if you have money, you have those things. So mm-hmm. at a very young age, I vowed to myself to become financially independent. So I wouldn't be put in the same position as my parents, where money was again just a tool for for survival, right? I really wanted to enjoy and thrive with my money. So 10 years later, at the age of 26, I hit my 100k uh, net worth. And I'm really on a mission to empower other women from similar upbringings do the same because when I was on this journey, there was no one who looked like me out there, right? Talking about finance, talking about the immigrant experience. um, It was just the dudes at the bank, and that was um, not very welcoming. We're just a bunch of
0: white people like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it's true. Like when I started learning about personal finance a decade ago, there was not a single person I could point to that was a person of color. Mm-hmm. Really, no. Maybe a few financial journalists that I followed, but otherwise, yeah. the typical money experts you'd see on TV or quoted in the news or like, you know, yeah, talking heads on the news—all white people and predominantly men as well. Absolutely.
1: And so it was, we're just missing this whole conversation around personal finance because, you know, I just, I generally find that the personal finance advice is sort of centered around individualism, right. Kind of looking out for yourself, but I come from a collectivist culture, meaning it's sort of this idea of community over self, which like in some ways is beautiful, but in other ways can also be kind of toxic, but regardless. Um, so when it came to personal finance, it was like, you know, I am responsible for my parents' retirement, right? No one's really talking about how I'm supposed to balance my own needs, but also that of like my family. Um, So yeah, it it was just such a gap.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that. I think that's actually just very interesting because yeah, my culture, I mean, just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, yeah like you said individualistic um there's not so much the idea that i'm going to take care of my parents and Mm. my parents didn't really take care of their parents like they did in in certain respects like you know health issues and stuff like that but in terms of finances it was no 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 you need to make sure that you are taken care of and if anything it's the grandparents still kind of try to like they took care of some of my you know uh, uncles and stuff like that right right? so it's not it's not really yeah it is kind of a bit of uh I don't know how to describe it but I guess like the term that always comes to mind is like that bootstrap mentality it's like you just need to figure it out or if Mm. you can't afford it you need to work harder it's always every man for themselves kind of mentality yeah which is one way to I guess motivate yourself to improve your financial situation but it's also a lot of freaking pressure and may Mm. not you know, I, I do think there needs to be a balance of like what you can personally do to improve your life, but also there needs to also be greater change in in your smaller community, your greater community society, and things like that. I've I've been struggling with that, I think a lot the past few years, just mm-hmm. talking to more people with different backgrounds and experiences. Cause yeah, me growing up, that was, that was the, you have to uh, figure it out on your own. Yeah. Um, and I thought, Oh, that's great. Cause that's, uh, you know, that'll make me stronger and work harder, but also like, that's, I don't, that's just not necessarily the right, I think fit for most people. And it also, I think doesn't leave any room for the talk about generational wealth, which has been a, a big topic lately. And also just circumstance. Like I'm very mm-hmm. privileged. I don't, you know, I, it's funny cause I never thought of myself. And I think a lot of people in my situation who grew up like lower middle class never thought of ourselves as privileged. Cause there's mm-hmm. always other people who had way more than us, but there's so many things that I do have or did have, compared to people that like i cannot imagine what it is like to immigrate to canada like my grandparents Mm -hmm. on my dad's side immigrated to to canada but they're from scotland it's not really the same you know it's not like they were immigrating from a war-torn country or or, or leaving a real you know with nothing they came here and you know it he set up a bakery and she was a teacher like they had to go back to school and start from you know a, a lower level than where they were but it's not not the same not the same
1: yeah. And I think um, it's interesting this, this concept of privilege, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think because even for me, I, I definitely have a privilege myself too. And I think it's important that I acknowledge that like I am able to live at home because again, in collectivist culture, yeah. especially within South Asian cultures, it's very normal for adult children to live at home until they're married. Right. And so I always preach this, like, yes, I was able to save more because you know I'm living at home. But that money is almost sort of like saved for like the future of me sort of giving back to my parents as well. Right. Cause at the end of the day, I am still responsible um, or will be, you know, partly responsible for, you know, their well being when they're older. Um, but yeah, I think privilege is just a conversation that I think is starting to happen a lot more. Um, I'm seeing, you know, more influencers or financial influencers as we call them um, speak to that. And I think it's really important um, to acknowledge that aspect.
0: Yeah, but I I think the the tricky thing that I'm always kind of struggling with is because you know, tr- lots of traditional financial advice was very focused on like the individual. What you mm-hmm. can do, take responsibility. If you just do this this and this, you can see an improvement. But now that we're having more conversations about, well, it's not just about what you can do. Sometimes it is like circumstance and you know, we're not all starting the race at the same starting line. Totally. How do we kind of balance it or should we get rid of some of the old financial advice or what like one example is I posted um an Instagram reel lately that's been getting some traction for better or for worse but (laughs) it was really just an example of compound interest I used the example of if you started with a thousand dollars and then continued to contribute a thousand dollars every single month for 20 years you'd get like half a million dollars by the end of 20 years yeah um so many comments me like, how on earth am I supposed to get a thousand dollars per month? Mm. Like that's crazy. Like I can't afford that. And just like you have no concept of what people can yeah. afford. I'm like, well, I cannot obviously make a simple Instagram reel and address every single income level. Like it's just For an sure. example. Yeah. But at the other end of it, I was also thinking, I understand everyone has a different situation, and some people, yeah, like they just don't earn that kind of money, and that's that's just the the reality of it. But I was seeing a lot of the comments and kind of thinking, they're saying this and they're explaining this. But I also kind of like, I think maybe it's just from, from, you know, my, my background of learning a lot of this traditional, you know, kind of old school financial education of the don't complain, find Mm. a solution, um, take responsibility. And I feel like I'm like, I'm really conflicted. I want to empathize, but I also want to motivate and give solutions, but I'm just not even sure what to do at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I see that a lot with like articles from like Refining 29 or the Money Diary series. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that where it's like how so-and-so like saved up for a down payment. And like some of the numbers are really extravagant and, and it shows like, you know, they were given a gift by their parents um, to help with it down. And people in the comments are just like, this is so out of touch. And like, just so not realistic. And so I, yeah, I definitely feel like there's a little bit of like, again, just kind of be acknowledging of um, the sort of what's realistic for some people to attain and what's also more relatable. Um, but same time, I, I mean, I do agree with you with the sense of like, at the end of the day, um, there are some system- like systematic things, that, you know, hinder some people from, you know, entering at the same level as someone else, right? And so like for my parents, that was the language barrier, right? There wasn't necessarily, you know, Punjabi uh, financial literacy for them. And so they missed out on, you know, starting an RSP at a young age, even with an RESP, they were told it was, you know, a fraud, like a fraudulent scam thing to do. And so they started it very late. Yes, I, I walked away with like maybe four grand, but my siblings who are younger um, have a lot more than that because again, they didn't know any better, right? Um, same thing with like real estate, like in Indian communities, um, real estate is actually one of like the sort of, and I think for a lot of immigrant communities, Mm -hmm. real estate sort of like the idea of like the best investment is real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of, at least I know Indian families have made their wealth through that, but also teaches the next generation the wrong thing, which is like, Oh, put all your eggs in one basket. Just like that's the only way to grow your wealth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, I live in Vancouver. To enter the yeah. real estate market is just so <laughs> insane that I yeah. can't imagine that being my only sort of source of like diversifying my wealth. Yeah. So yeah, there's just so many layers to this. There's
0: so many layers. Yeah. It's it's a complex situation. I feel like the I feel like yeah, back like 10 years ago it was a lot simpler, but I think it was a lot simpler because we just did not we just ignored a bunch of factors. Absolutely, <laughs> and, yes. And put everything back on the individual to be like, well, you know, and that's I think that's a, honestly a big reason why I sometimes don't love the fire community. Mm-hmm. Like I love the the idea of achieving a big goal, but I feel like there's it really does ignore a lot of these factors. <laughs> you know? It's for like, sure. yeah, a lot of the people that achieve fire make six figure salaries. So why, you know, so it's it's not necessarily possible for everybody to retire by
1: 35. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. And also, I think yeah. when I look at the fire community, I just get a little bit concerned about how much they preach frugality, um right. and this mm. idea of like just living so scarcely and I'm like mm-hmm. what's the point like then when you have yeah. the money are you going to spend more or are you just going to like s- maintain this lifestyle and again no hate or disrespect to anyone mm. who chooses that lifestyle for them but I get concerned with just how much of that message is being put out there and I think when we come back to the idea of like money trauma and triggers mm-hmm. and stuff like that it's not really a healthy lifestyle for everyone you know
0: no yeah i think the the big issue is the extre- and that's i've always had issues with like extremes like that's totally. why i'm like i i think there's so many great elements but there's a lot of extremes that kind of freak me out that i feel like yeah i can <laughs> probably have some negative effects maybe to your your mental health or even your physical health. Gosh, if you're living like super frugally, but also even for like some of the extremes, like when I was just starting to blog fire, wasn't a thing, but the huge topic was um, debt and paying Mm. off, like the big stories weren't so-and-so reached this net worth at this age it was so-and-so paid this amount of debt by this age like that was Mm. the huge thing probably because we're just coming out of the recession so everyone had (laughs) debt (laughs) makes a lot of sense and so that was like kind of the splashy story but again it was like in or and then you read these stories like how did these people pay off like two hundred thousand dollars in debt in two years like that's wild it's because they lived like extreme extreme lives or even like I don't know if you remember the show I'm not sure if it's on air anymore but like extreme couponers yeah These people went to extreme lengths just yeah. to get free groceries you're like they could just be spending that time and energy on maybe a bit like an actual business model <laughs> for sure <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah it's the extremes that I feel like it's kind of like you know i've, I've probably said this on the show so many times it's, it's like a crash diet it'll work in the short mm-hmm. term the long term will have some possibly negative after effects so you just need to be aware of what what are the consequences of, of living in an extreme way whatever that means
1: absolutely and i mean for myself too i i kind of went through a similar experience again because of my experience with money and this idea, in an immigrant, you know, upbringing, money was a tool of survival. It was like, yeah, money's only spent in times of like need, not necessarily wants. And so when I got into my 20s, and I got my job, and you know, I had student loans to pay off. I was extremely frugal, I was stuck in a cycle of having extreme anxiety, parting with my money, being really frugal. And just yeah, anytime I would spend and buy myself like, you know, a latte or whatever, I would just be so hard on myself. And I was like, man, this cannot be sustainable. Like this sucks. Like I'm making more yeah. money than I ever have, but this sucks. And yeah. so being caught in that cycle of like depriving myself and then being so fed up, that I deprived myself that I would just binge spend on random crap because I deprived myself and then feeling guilty for that put in like kind of, you know, being stuck in that cycle over and over again. And it was only when I, again, like stopped to reflect, Hey, where the heck is this coming from? Like, where is this like fear and like anxiety of like letting all my money go coming from, um, you know, that started to make some breakthroughs and be like, you know what, like this, this is enough of that cycle. I need to be able to enjoy money, still be responsible. It's all possible. But um, yeah, so that's why, again, when I see the fire community, like for me, it is triggering, because yeah. that was a cycle that I was in and I didn't enjoy it. But it mm-hmm. they they've glamorized it to a point where I'm like, oh, maybe that is the way, you know?
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned yeah, the word trigger. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like I wish these words existed
1: <laughs> a long time
0: ago. Like yeah. the word trigger and the word gaslighting. Oh, my gosh. Totally. I'm like, oh, that's what that is. I totally relate to you. I mean, I feel like we had different upbringings, but mm-hmm. also so many similarities like I grew up in a very frugal household and it is like a generational thing because we, you know, pretty much on both sides of my family never had money. And Mm -hmm. so how we can control our financial lives, there was never really any talk about investing or building wealth or building a business or anything like that. Absolutely not. It was literally just living within your budget, living within your means frugality. And so, Hey, I learned some great things when I was an adult because I, they were in, they were in me, you know, as, as natural habits. But like you said, also, I still, in my mid thirties, have a hard time treating myself to like, redid- like mm-hmm. little things, like a coffee. I'm like, do you really need that fancy coffee? Like, still, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, all these years, I still have this, yeah. even though I'm like, girl, you can afford a latte. Yeah. It's fine, <laughs> <laughs> you can afford it. It's fine. So I'm curious, and I'm sure too, since you work with clients one on one, I'm sure you encounter a lot of you know things like this and people certain things triggering, triggering them. Like I think, you know, when I'm online, there's certain, if someone posts a certain thing, Mm. there's certain things that do trigger me. And and I'm like, interesting, where does that stem from? So I'm curious, like, how does one even first I guess recognize because I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. it's even hard to recognize when you feel a certain way like that like yeah. you just I feel like we get triggered so much on social media we almost don't even recognize when yeah, it happens for sure. right and then what do you do about it how can you work through that so you can not feel like that forever
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's definitely like a a complex topic, we'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I see with, with a lot of my clients, again, who are generally women of color from collectivist cultures, is this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, right? This comparison game with like their friends, uh, maybe another family, their cousin, etc., and feeling so inadequate. That it leads them to, you know, stuff like overspending, um, or again the other side of it, which is like the having a hard time spending money on themselves. Um, and so the first thing, you know, I help them do is just really understand like what in their environment leads them to feeling, you know, a certain way about money, which is more so a negative feeling about money. So whether that's frustrated, whether that's again inadequate, whether that's anxious, um, stressed, whatever it might be what are some things in their environment? And again, this could be as simple as logging into their bank account, right? Mm. And seeing their credit card statement and then being like, nope. Then like completely shutting down because, you know, that stresses them out, right? Or it triggers something in them, that's a trigger. Or maybe it's a certain friend who, uh, if they always see, roll up, or if they message, you know, to go out, like that's also triggering. Because again, this idea of uh, keeping up with the Joneses. And so I think when it comes to triggers, it's, you know, um both sort of tangible things like again like opening up a bank statement but also um people around you right um who can also be unfortunately you know triggers and then again like your environment as well um it's a big factor
0: yeah i guess yeah that's the thing i think a lot of people have a hard time especially what i recognize when people are like oh i just started learning about personal finance is something i really want to take care of and and learn more about the hard thing is once you're kind of getting into this this world and i remember doing this too you do realize um, a lot of external forces um, impacting kind of your thoughts and your actions. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, sometimes what you need to do in order to live the life that you do want and and not feel bad and, and associate money with negative feelings is to kind of, you know, uh, take a look at some of your relationships and see if you yeah. need to let any go because there's definitely some people that I'd let go of in my life and now looking back I'm glad they were you know if, if someone's not adding value to your life or mm-hmm. if you feel drained and not so good about yourself after hanging out with them mm-hmm. that's not you know a good situation
1: absolutely and I think like on top of that too is like, I a lot all people have a lot of hesitation around even just talking about money with their girlfriends you know or their friends because it just feels like such a hush hush against like shameful topic and in that because no one's talking about it um you know we kind of we're kind of stuck kind of going along like spending money going out even though you know you may not be able to afford to do so um so i think it's also important that again like you said understand those relationships that you do value and that you you know, you do have the safety and space to be vulnerable, right? To be like, hey, you know what, I'm working towards this goal or, you know, money's a little bit tight right now. Could we do something else? Instead, I can promise you, and I've seen this with my clients as well, it opens doors for conversations to be had around money and you hear the same thing from someone else. And I think we keep, because of social media, where everyone's best lives are out there, you know, (laughs) for display, and like no one's posting receipts about their dinners or, you know, how much Mm -hmm. their purse actually cost, Um we just assume everyone um is fine financially, but behind closed Mm -hmm. door, we we never truly know. Right? Mm -hmm. Everything can be funded by a credit card, right? Mm -hmm. How do we know? It's inspired by dialogue.
0: Yeah, we just always I always used to assume like I used to work downtown like right on bay street mm. in toronto and you know also I worked at a law firm and so there was everyone looked amazing everyone was spending money all the time to- it was it was a actually a very toxic environment <laughs> Talk <laughs> about triggering i can't even go into the building without feeling bad um but uh i used to always think like going on the subway and seeing people that were like my age have these expensive clothes and purses and and uh, you know technology and stuff like that and i'm like how on earth can they afford that like mm. i can't afford that and it, i'd always assume that they were making more or something no you really never know they could be yeah. funding it with yeah their credit card or you don't know maybe they get an allowance from their parents totally but it's it's one of those things like you mentioned i think that's such an important thing to, to remember is number one standing up for yourself uh with your friends be like no i need to take care of me and this isn't in my budget or this isn't in alignment with my goals but like you said like it is such a great opening to talk about money because maybe they're waiting for someone to mm. open that, com- to start that conversation. And you're that person. Yeah. So I think oh, someone's o- always waiting for the other person to to talk about money. And there's so many times where I've seen, like for me, so, so many of my friends love to talk to me about money because they don't know who else to talk to, yeah, but they know that, that really I'm like fun. a safe space, non judgmental, yeah. and stuff like that. So I feel like, you know what, there's probably a lot of people out there, including your friends who actually do want to talk about it, but they're mm. waiting for someone else to bring it up.
1: For sure. And I think another thing that Maybe. I've noticed is That's like, not. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I think also is like, you know, social activities are are so expensive sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I also like mm-hmm. to see a lot that people are like, okay, dinners and drinks and this and that. And so with my clients, when again, like we're trying to understand their spending and rein that in a little bit, I'm always like, you know, let's think about some alternatives. At the end of the day, you all you wanted to get out of this this time together is sort of like that that exactly like spending time together having quality time together how you do that doesn't necessarily mean you always have to spend money right and I think that we're always so caught up in this idea of like you know spending time together means you know spending money um but you know we can like do like a you know like a potluck thing at the house or like a movie night in or something really chill um and I think in a way we're almost wired to be like no that's weird right? Like, why would I, like, you know, like, I just go out to and have this nice dinner and whatnot. Like, why would I do that? So again, just very interesting, I guess, layers to, um, I guess like the the societal pressures of, of money and spending money and all that.
0: Yeah. I think it's also helpful to have people that are like on the same path or, or quite honestly, income level. Like for Mm -hmm. me, like, that's honestly never been a big issue. Like I don't have friends that want to go to fancy restaurants. Yeah. So I don't even now I'm like, no, like we're still pretty, you know, my, my husband works in the arts industry. And so, you know, it's, it's never like, Oh, let's go to the most expensive restaurant. It's Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 let's just go to this dive bar. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes it's, that helps is also finding people that are, you know, doing the same thing as you that want to. And that's why you always encourage us like find people who are, you know, wanting to achieve the same things that you want to achieve, finding those yeah. communities, whether they're online, or you can find offline communities. Um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit, just because I think we didn't really chat about this. But it's it's pretty incredible that you were, even with some of your things mentioned, like you have, you know, sometimes a hard time spending money or the, the mm-hmm. frugality aspect of your up- upbringing, but you were still s- somehow able to kind of you know, turn that scarcity mindset, which is, you know, something I deal with all the time into that abundance mindset and, uh, achieve, you know, a hundred thousand dollar net worth by 26. Like that's Mm -hmm. crazy. I certainly, I probably had like $10,000 at 26. (laughs) How are you able to do that? Like that isn't a huge, huge accomplishment. What, what kind of things did you do in order to, to make that happen?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think number one, again, like that privilege of being able to live at home, I'm going to, you know, you know, mm. own that as it is. Yeah. definitely didn't it's have huge to. huge, though. Yeah, definitely didn't have to. You know, again, like pay monthly bills, etc. But again, with the caveat that you know, there are times where I do spend a lot of money on my parents or the household. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was definitely an aspect of it. Another thing too is I was really strategic with how I you know move through my milestones. So when I first graduated university, um, I had my student loans, and so I was like, I need to pay off this student loan. Uh, because it just feels like a weight on my shoulders. And once I'm done with that, I can move on to like the next thing, which was savings. So um, for me, again, being able to live at home, I was able to pay off student loans um, and then move on to uh, saving money. But again, especially early on in that journey, that frugality aspect kept coming up for me, right? Of like, oh, I shouldn't be spending money. I should just be saving it. And what I really found helped was really segregating um, my income into three categories, which was my expenses, then my savings goals and investing goals, and then my spending money. And so my spending money, I got to blow to zero dollars, you know, every two, every two weeks. And that changed the game for me. That's where I felt like again, I was able to enjoy my life, you know, as a mid-20, something old, and but still be like financially responsible. I was still doing everything I needed to do and take care of. And so strategically, that was definitely um something that. Help me along that journey and another thing too is um increasing my income yeah that's always a big factor right yeah like that's a game changer for sure and I think that's not talked about enough and like Mm -mm. this idea of like we always need to cut back expenses and cut and cut and cut and I'm like no 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 like this whole other world of like bringing in more money totally changes the game right? It's a lot more flexibility. And so that, for me, that was like through negotiating uh, my salary at work, um, bonuses, um, and then even starting my side hustle, side hustle, which up until this year wasn't making me much money, but this year it has. Um, but, and I've seen the fruits of like that labor as well. Of like, hey, this idea of bringing in more money um, accelerates uh, my savings goals.
0: Yeah. Like, I feel like, yeah, you're, you're so right. It doesn't get talked about, but it's, I think, like it makes sense why people like to focus on like the frugality and cutting back is like that's an easy thing you could do right away it's not as easy to like just make more money I remember for sure I used to see there's a few financial experts like online this was years ago this was like literally years ago because I was in my 20s and super broke and they were talking about like well just make more money I'm like well that's easy for you someone who's in Mm. their 30s 40s making a certain level but it's like I you know was in that space where it's like I totally get it like the people on the Instagram room like I totally get it I was in a similar situation so I I feel you I didn't like when I was starting to invest all I could afford was like $200 and that was literally like yeah oh my god it's all like it felt like all my money like I was just like oh my gosh and so I understand it feels like that's impossible to Mm -hmm. increase your income when you've maybe maybe never been able to you've always lived on a certain income level yeah but it is possible. It's not easy. But yeah, similar to you, I did the side hustle thing. The other big thing is honestly switching employers, not to like a yeah. that millennial that's promoting job hopping. But every time I've left an employer, I've made an extra $10,000, mm-hmm. if not more. So honestly, it's not about sticking it out and getting raises and bonuses. Yeah. Sometimes you can really jack up your income just by switching companies.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's kind of
0: my new sense, but I feel like employers are probably now that we're in this like, what is it? The great resignation. Resignation. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't know. know, That's like, (laughs) this is actually the perfect time to do that, isn't it? (laughs) What are you talking about? You have all the leverage. This is like the opposite to like my experience being like a you know great recession millennial where I'm like oh my god I'll work here for free you know I just need some I need a job on the resume. Gosh, now it's like take advantage of this really weird world we're in and Mm. like I talked to so many people like oh I hate my job I'm like oh my gosh this is the best time to start looking for another job. Yeah, (laughs) people are clamoring for employees. No one wants to work apparently. So this is it. But I'm curious, you know the side hustle thing. I think. I mean, that's been a big topic for a number of years and, Mm. you know, it makes sense. um, But I think the other argument I've been seeing is, oh, great. We just need to monetize every, you know, passion project or hobby now. Like it it, it maybe has gone a little bit too far. What are your kind of sentiments on that? Like for me, it's been great, but I can understand if you like to make candles for fun, do we need to have a candle shop? I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think this idea of like the hustle culture definitely became you know toxic and this was idea like we always need to be on and productive and working I mean that is capitalism right like that is capitalism at work um again for me like my story um I always wanted to work with people in the realm of personal finance and have a brand around um, financial education and so it was a no-brainer for my side hustle to be yeah first starting off a passion project but really ultimately you know um my bread and butter um, but for, I think for, for other people out there, um, yeah, I think as long as you love your nine to five, or again, maybe you don't love it, but you're totally okay with it. You're not looking to do anything else. Um, having like side projects and like, you know, passions and stuff like that is it's still a great, you know, creative outlet. Right. And I don't think you need to fall into that pressure of like learning how to market it on Instagram and do all that because then that passion project just becomes another job and that will change everything for you. It won't be what it was before. So again, that's sort of my two cents on it. I totally see both sides. Um, and again, like you know what's best for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I always like to remind people that just because you want to side like if you want to start a side hustle and what whether that means starting your own business or or just doing like Uber or whatever yeah. to make some extra money. I think people always like forget that. I'm like, you know, you don't have to do it forever. Like it can be a temporary fix for you just saving a certain amount of money. And then once you've reached your goal, you can quit. Like you do not have to continue doing it for the long haul. Like for me, I always personally thought, I was going to just do this side hustle. I never wanted to do this full time, but here we are. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was just going to do it for a few years, make my money, uh, and and you know invest it, and and then eventually at a certain point when I got into a certain maybe role in, in the career that I was pursuing, which was more uh, marketing. Mm-hmm then I'd quit and it just didn't work out that way <laughs> I think yeah. for the better. But you know, like, yeah. but again, it's like, I never thought I was going to do this permanently. It was mm. literally a temporary, like I started, I started to try to monetize my blog and stuff like that as a temporary means to earn some more money so I yep. can beef up my emergency fund, retire, you know, put more money into my retirement fund, go traveling and stuff like that. So I think that's the other thing to remember is like, you don't have to do it forever. You could just do it for a little amount of time and then stop whenever you like yeah or never or you don't have to do it at all like there's other you know ways and maybe it's just about focusing on how to really grow your the career you're in yeah or switch careers entirely i've been seeing a lot of that actually
1: (laughs) absolutely um now i i
0: yeah, I think we've kind of touched on this, but just because I, I really want to, you know, make sure we we do talk about it. You know, everyone we, we've we talked a lot about the everyone comes from different backgrounds and circumstances, mm-hmm. but, you know, you're a woman of color. And, and I feel like this is, you know, more people are talking about their stories. And I think there's been more talk about how there needs to 100 percent be more there needs to be more diversity in the financial space cuz i mean it's a very it uh, was it um i don't know if you follow Heyburna, but she like her kind of take on is like you know the financial industry is hella male and hella pale and i'm like that is 100% <laughs> what it is yeah um what are some like unique financial struggles that maybe women of color specifically um encounter and what are some things that they can do to kind of overcome that if if that's something that's even possible? Is it more of a societal thing? Or is it like, is there individual things that they can do?
1: Yeah, I mean, the two things that come up for me are uh, around sort of salary negotiation and workaholism. And Mm. the second one being uh, a money disorder called uh, financial enabling. Financial Mm. enabling is when, you know, we feel secure only when other people around us are, you know, secure. So what that might look like is someone might need money, And even though you technically can't afford to give it to them, you're still going to do it because, hey, that person's going to feel good and therefore you'll feel good. So that codependency Mm. that exists. And I think as women and women of color, um, this idea that we always need to be good daughters, good wives, good moms comes up a lot. And so like that, it's almost in a way self-sabotage, right? Um, Constantly being there for others financially without looking out for yourselves. So that's definitely one theme that I see recurring with the clients that I work with again, because they are women of color from immigrant upbringings. Um, And I think what I always recommend there is really learning to set some financial boundaries, what that looks like for me. Like I have a family fund, like literally in my savings account, I have one dedicated family account. And so I'll siphon money off into there. And if I need to, if my parents ask or someone asks, like that's the fund that I pull from. Right. And that reduces that resentment of, oh, okay, like I don't, I can't really afford to, but here you go, et cetera. And so I always encourage my clients like, hey, let's take care of you first, right? Your emergency fund, your debt repayment, your invest. And then let's set up this fund for, you know, XYZ person
0: hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so smart. That's really smart. I feel <laughs> like, yeah, I've never heard of that before. I mean, I actually encountered that with um, a client I worked with a, a number of years ago, he was uh, originally from Venezuela. And we we're looking at his budget and trying to rework things. He had some debt and also some saving schools. And I'm like, Oh, what's this kind of line, you know, thing mm-hmm. here or, or this like, um, line in your spending is like, Oh, that's me sending money back home to my family. Yes. I'm like, Oh, is that really important to you. He's like, it's, I need to always send money back Mm -hmm. to my family. And so I'm like, okay, how do we make sure that we're saving instead of it coming out of some other, you know, like your savings goal for this, we need to make sure it's its own savings goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then the other point I touched on, which is idea of workaholism and um, salary negotiation. Again, being one of color um, in a workspace, a corporate environment, et cetera, it's always like we're on this chase for excellence to prove ourselves, right? Like, oh, if I just like do this for my boss or work extra hours and like, and sure not even being paid, you know, what I'm worth, it's fine because in a way it's sort of ingrained with us like, oh, this is all we're worth,
0: right? Mm -hmm. This is all that we
1: can get and we should be thankful. And I think as children of immigrants, this idea of having privilege with your career choices, like also didn't exist for me growing up, Right. Because for me, I was like, I mean, again, like the idea of in, like being a, a lawyer and a doctor, et cetera, like sure, that was the case. But it was also this idea of stability. Right. Having a stable career, not necessarily a career in the arts or the creative field. Like that felt, you know, irresponsible to me. Um, and so I think, again, those are just some other themes I've seen um, some of my yeah. clients.
0: Definitely. yeah, no, I think those are I'm sure people listening are, you know, like, oh yeah, that's relatable. Mm-hmm. I could definitely relate to that. Um, so now, before I, I let you go, because I know so you offer services and you have so much great content, where can people find more information about you or or get in, uh, in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so on Instagram, you can find me um, at Parween.mander. Um, I'm always there, so shoot me a DM. We'll love to connect with you guys. Um, and then my website is linked in my bio, but it's wolf with an E.ca. And you can find you know how to work with there, some free resources, um, et cetera.
0: Where does the name "the wealthy wolf" come? That, that was yeah. like the number one question I had, and I never got to it. I'm Like,
1: oh, good, you mentioned your name. Yeah. Where did that come
0: from? I like the name, but where's it? For sure. From?
1: So, to me, the wolf always represented this duality that related to my identity. So, the the wolf mm. it was sort of like you know it can be alone, it, it can be alone, independent, do its thing, but also this like family oriented in a pack sort of idea. And as a daughter of immigrants, I'm like this is literally my identity, which I'm trying to you know mm. I'm always struggling with, which is like being there for myself, but also being there for others. And so, um, yeah, the wolf, I like, I have paintings around my room around it. And so, um, mm. my fiance was the one that put together the, Hey, wealthy wolf. I'm like, Hey, that's it. <laughs> I <laughs>
0: that's love that alliteration. We've got that. It's beautiful. I love that.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the
0: show and sharing all of this stuff. I, I really appreciate you, uh, sharing and educating everybody who's listening. It's been a, a
1: pleasure having you on. Thanks so much, Jessica. Appreciate it.
0: And that was episode 308 with the amazing Parween Mander. You can find her at the Wealthy Wolf, and Wolf has an E at the end.ca. You can also just go to the show notes to find more information about her and all the links where you can connect with her at slash 308. You can also follow her on Twitter at Parween Mander, very easy, and on Instagram at Parween.mander. Um, again, just go to the show notes. I have everything linked, so it's very easy for you to find her and you know possibly book a one on one co Coaching call with her. So uh, lots of things to share with you. So do not go away. Stick around. Um, I have a, just a few words I want to share about this podcast episode sponsor, and then I will be right back. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Motley Fool Canada. Interested in leveling up your stock market knowledge and skills? Want to dip your toes into investing in individual stocks by taking a methodical get-rich-slowly approach? Then consider signing up to Stock Advisor Canada. I've personally been a member for two years now, and I'll tell you why as a loud and proud index investor I signed up because they are all about playing the long game. You won't see them promoting hot stocks you can flip for a supposed quick profit. They are focused on educating Canadians about long-term stock investing and even recommend holding stocks for at least five years because as we all know, patience is an investor's greatest asset. Not only does membership include buy and sell recommendations, weekly updates, special reports, and member forums, it also has their premium hub with members only live streams, exclusive videos, and more. So no matter if you want to start investing in stocks or just improve your overall investing knowledge, consider joining over 70,000 of your fellow Canadian investors today by signing up to Stock Advisor Canada. And if you visit fool.ca slash Jessica, you can save 66% off your membership. Once again, to sign up and get 66% off, visit fool.ca slash Jessica. Okay, so first things first, reminder, there's only a few more weeks left of this show. And uh, that means there's only, uh, you know, limited time for you to enter to win a copy of one of the books that I'm giving away. So I'm, reminder, giving away a copy of all of the books uh, that have been featured on this season of the show. If you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest, you can find all of the books, you can enter to win all of them, you will only win one. But you can enter to win, so you've got lots of chances. And also, honestly, there's not a huge group of people that have uh, entered these contests, so the odds are in your favor. So uh, make sure to go to slash contest to uh, find out what all those books are um, and enter to win. And good luck. Um, and also, it's fun to get a package in the mail. Who doesn't love a package in the mail? From yours truly. Actually, it will be from my sister. But, <laughs> but hey, that's kind of cool too. She's a connection to me, so why not? Um, anyways, uh, let's see. What else do I have to share with you? Oh, yeah. So, big thing that you'll definitely want to know about is you know hey I have got an investing course um, and you're gonna to want to uh, take the the last few weeks uh, out of this year to uh, apply because I will be raising the price in the new year so if you go to Jessica slash Wbb you could also just go to the show notes for this episode Jessicacom slash 308 you can find the link to uh, the landing page but uh, yeah so wealth building blueprint for Canadians it is a course that really takes you through the the fundamentals of investing all the way to the end where I show you specifically how to build your own investment plan and portfolio so you can be an index investor like myself and like I have talked about at nauseum Is it at nauseam or ad nauseum? Well, I'm just going to keep both of those in and you can choose which one is right for you. (laughs) Anyways, um, if you want to, you know, participate in passive investing and, you know, really start building your wealth, I've got a course for you. Obviously, this is specifically for Canadians. But uh, if you're a Canadian listening, this might be something that you're interested in because man, are there a lot of courses out there that are for Americans. So if you're looking for something specific about Canadians, so we can talk about Canadian taxation and registered accounts and Canadian products and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've got all that good stuff in the course. So JessicaMoraz.com slash WBB is where you can find more information about that and to apply. Um, let's see. What else do I have for you? I feel like those are the main things. I, you know, like I'm just kind of wrapping things up at this point Let's see. Where are we in? I'm just recording this obviously in advance, so spoiler. Oh yeah, I think right today I'm actually on a plane to Vancouver to see my family for the holidays. Which, hi, so excited because I have not been able. I didn't, you know, wasn't able to to uh have the holiday, you know, that we usually have me and my husband with their families last year because of the pandemic. We we're luckily able to see our families this summer, but we had to do Christmas alone last year and New years. And you know how <laughs> it's not. It wasn't sad. We had to, you know, we. Made Made the best of it, but it's not the same, you know. It's just not the same. So I'm so freaking excited to to be back home for the holidays. I hope I hope you are too. I'm, I'm very, you know, I hope you're able to hang out with friends and family during this, you know, the holiday season. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyways, that's that's all I have to to share with you. Nothing, nothing else. Um. Oh yeah. Besides, hello. Tomorrow I have a bonus episode for you uh, that you're not gonna wanna miss. It is also, um, on uh, I've got a great guest about investing. We're gonna dive deep. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good. Good one. I'm really excited to I have this guest on the show, actually. So I'm pretty stoked. Um, so yeah, so just check back here tomorrow. But otherwise, you know, a big thank you for listening and a huge shout out to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout. Um, and yeah, I'll see you back here tomorrow for a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. See you then.